scripture reading this morning is coming from Isaiah 55. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here, that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This morning our sermon comes from the book of Mark again. Mark 1, verses 21 to 28. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. Listen to the reading of God's word now. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This passage is uh, full of astonished people. We have an entire synagogue who is sitting in what seems like at first shocked silence as they hear Jesus teach and as they watch him cast out a demon. They are amazed by Jesus. No one else they've ever met is quite like Jesus. No one else has the kind of authority that he does. 
That's not surprising because Jesus is unique. We know already from the book of Mark that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And remember that these opening few stories in Mark's gospel are showing Jesus' authority. Last week we saw how Jesus calls men to follow him and they drop everything and follow him immediately. In our passage this week, Jesus speaks again with authority to teach and to fight. And what Jesus does shows who he is. He teaches as our anointed prophet and he fights as our anointed king. That leads us really to the main idea of the passage that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has unique authority as our prophet and king. Again, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has unique authority as our prophet and our king. We'll see his authority in three points. We'll see his authority to teach the word, verses 21 to 22. We'll see his authority to defeat his enemies in verses 23 to 26. And then we'll see that his authority demands a response in verses 27 to 28. So first what we see in this passage is that Jesus has authority to teach the word. Uh, Jesus and his new disciples, Simon and Andrew, John and James, they enter the city of Capernaum and they head straight for the synagogue. But this was not going to be just another Sabbath worship service for the people of Capernaum. Because Jesus himself began to teach. And verse 22 here describes the result. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The people here had never heard someone teach this way before. They were used to hearing the scribes be teaching them. Those, those scribes, they were the, the religious authorities of Jesus' day. They spent their whole lives studying the Old Testament and reading what other scholars before them had said. And that was actually their problem because their authority was the Bible plus tradition. The Bible plus tradition. Later in Mark in chapter 7, Jesus actually confronts these same scribes because they place the tradition of the elders, what men say, above the law of God. That's not how Jesus teaches, though. Jesus teaches as one with authority. He declares the word of God to the people. And when you hear this, you're supposed to think of the Old Testament prophets. The prophets do not come and suggest nice things to the people. They say, thus saith the Lord. They are declaring what God says, and so is Jesus. What do you think that would have sounded like that day? What do you think it would have been like to hear Jesus' teaching with that kind of authority? Well, we don't have to guess, because we have a lot of instances of Jesus' teaching. Think, for instance, about what Jesus says in Matthew 5 to 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of his longest sermons in the entire Gospels. He teaches about many things in those chapters. But I just want to take one example about how he teaches on murder and adultery. This is how he teaches with authority. First, he identifies the true extent of those sins. Right? It's not just the outward actions, because if you are angry or if you are lustful, you have actually murdered and committed adultery in your heart. 
Jesus also goes further, though, because he declares judgment because of those sins. He says that the fire of hell is waiting for you if you continue in those sins. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he commands a change in their lives. Be reconciled to others and take sin seriously. Who has authority to teach like this, to declare what's true and how your life must change? Well, Jesus does. Jesus' authority comes straight from God. Jesus has authority to teach this way because he is the Son of God. So he is God himself. And even more than that, he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. We saw that earlier in chapter 1. He has been set apart to declare God's word to his people. That's part of his mission as our Savior, to preach and to teach the good news. Now, this is part of what we mean then when we say that Jesus fulfills the office of a prophet. But he's not just another prophet or even a greater prophet. Islam gets that wrong by seeing him as just a prophet. No, Jesus is the prophet. He is, in fact, the very word of God. Look at John 1. He reveals to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. And that is what Jesus was doing this morning in Capernaum when he sat down in that synagogue and taught. He was revealing to the people from the word of God, the Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's will for their salvation. He was teaching them about God's plan of salvation. He was teaching them about their need to believe in the Savior. And he was teaching them the way that their lives will change as they obey God. But he wasn't teaching a kind of dry, academic, Sunday school, lecture kind of class about true things. I've heard enough of them. No, think about what Jesus was doing. He was authoritatively declaring what was true and how the people's lives must change as a result. Think about it. No wonder the people were so surprised by what they heard that morning. I know if you're anything like me, I mean, I would have loved to be sitting in on that class. I would have loved to hear Jesus teach. Maybe you'd had those kind of thoughts too. And the truth is, Jesus is actually still at work today to be teaching us. Jesus is still teaching you and I today with authority. Now, you, you and I don't, don't hear his physical voice, right? But in the word read, and especially in the word preached, Jesus teaches us. The word, the Bible, is his word to you. It's his word to me. And he teaches us through his Holy Spirit, opening our eyes and changing our hearts and applying the word to us. Remember that. Believe that. You will not be saved because I'm such a persuasive preacher. I cannot argue with you into heaven. And your lives will not be changed because I'm a good speaker, because I've got great tips for you about how your life needs to be different. No. Any of those changes, salvation or your growth in holiness, those changes come when the Son speaks with authority today into your lives through His Word, by His Spirit. Remember, He has a voice with power to raise the spiritually dead and to change your hearts. Jesus alone has that kind of authority 
to teach. But we also see, secondly, in this passage, that Jesus has a unique authority to defeat his enemies. Look at verses 23 to 26. Because Jesus' teaching that Sabbath wasn't even the most dramatic thing that happened that day. Because as he's teaching with that kind of authority, he is dramatically interrupted and challenged. War is declared on the ministry of Jesus. Look again at verses 23 to 24. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know what you are, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God. This is not just a man who's kind of unhappy with Jesus' teaching. He's not even just a man who is upset and angry about Jesus' teaching. That happens later. You can imagine that Jesus' words offend people. certainly happened later in Jesus' life in the town of Nazareth. But what we see here is something much more serious because Jesus is confronted by a demon-possessed man. This is a man with an unclean spirit. I mean, you say what scripture says right now, that demons and demon possession are real. It's real. I don't know how many people in today's culture in America really believe that. Um, it's Halloween time now. You can walk down your street and you can see kind of cute ghosts. Um, that's not what the Bible teaches us. Also look at American culture. You know, Hollywood makes tons of movie off of scary, or tons of money off of scary movies. Thinking of movies like The Exorcist or something like that. Tapping into the spiritual world. That's not entertainment. Demons and Satan are not entertainment. They're not entertaining. Demons serve Satan, and Satan's goal is to destroy the work of God. Satan uses his demons to do his evil work in the world. But we don't have to be scared of that. We don't have to be scared of this kind of spiritual warfare of Satan, his demons, or his actions. Because throughout the book of Mark, we'll see Jesus, time after time, confronting and defeating demons and Satan himself. And that's what we see in our passage. There, there is a spiritual battle going on in these verses, and Jesus wins. No contest. Complete victory. Notice that the unclean spirit knows exactly who Jesus is and what he came to do. The unclean spirit calls him Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy One of God. Now, everybody sitting in that synagogue would have known that Jesus is from Nazareth, right? That's where he, that's where he grew up. But it's only the unclean spirit who recognizes that Jesus is also the Holy One of God. That phrase is a title, that phrase is a title. It's saying who Jesus is, really, and what he's come to do. Because being holy means being set apart. The unclean spirit knows that Jesus is the one that God has set apart to do his work. And that title, the Holy One of God, points us back to Jesus' baptism. Because what we are seeing here in this passage is really a fight between Jesus and an unclean spirit. Jesus, who is the Holy One, the one who has been anointed with the Holy Spirit fighting with it, the evil, with darkness, with fighting with Satan. He has been, Jesus has been set apart by his Father through the Spirit to fight with authority 
and power. And that unclean spirit, that demon recognizes Jesus' authority and power. He asks, have you come to destroy us? That is not an innocent question. The demon knows what Jesus' long-term plan is. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God who will one day defeat and judge Satan and all of Satan's servants. Well, Jesus doesn't debate with him anymore. He enters right into the conflict, and the fight is over almost before it has begun. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent! And come out of him in the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Simple as that. Notice how Jesus wins here. How Jesus exercises that authority. It's in a very simple way. By speaking. That's all he has to do and the demon must obey. He has no other choice but to obey the Son of God when he speaks. Jesus speaks with power. It is the power of God. It's that same power, actually, that created the world. Think about this. God spoke and everything came into existence from nothing. That is the power that Jesus Christ is speaking with as he confronts this demon. Who is able to resist the power of God? The answer is no one. Nothing, nothing in all creation, even Satan himself, cannot resist God. We see here this power of God coming into the world. We see this fits with Jesus' message of salvation. In verses 14 to 15, Jesus preached. He said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we see that kingdom of God coming in power as Jesus begins to defeat his enemies. This is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, and only one is going to win. We've already seen Jesus be the powerful king that we need in the book of Mark. Remember his temptation in the wilderness. He successfully resisted Satan's temptations. But now we see more. Because Jesus begins to break Satan's control over the world. He is dramatically undoing Satan's destructive work by freeing this man from demon possession. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came to defeat Satan and to free his people. Listen to 1 John 3.9. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Can't be clearer than that. But listen also to another passage, Colossians 2.15. The result of Jesus' work. God disarmed the rulers and authorities, the spiritual forces. He disarmed them and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ. That is a picture of complete and total victory over the enemies of God. You and I need Jesus to be this kind of king because he defeats all his and our enemies. Now you and I are born slaves of sin. We are born as citizens of the kingdom of of Satan, and we don't want to break free. And even if we did, we couldn't. We couldn't break free from Satan by ourselves. So we actually need Jesus' work as our king to even free us, to bring us to salvation. And then we continue to need Jesus' work as our king to protect us. 
We know, actually, a little bit of what it's like to face Satan and his temptations. That happens in your own life. But Christ the King enables us to stand firm. Look at Ephesians 6. Right, that famous passage where Paul describes the full armor of God. If we were left on our own then, without God's protection, without the work of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have that full armor of God at all. No, we would be just as powerless as that demon-possessed man to fight. But with Christ's protection and with Christ's power, we are able to resist the devil and he flees from us. And more than that, through Christ's protection, we are kept secure for the day when Jesus, our King, returns. And when he returns, then he will finally judge once and for all Satan, his demons, and all those who oppose Christ. Our passage really is pointing us to this bigger picture of Jesus' authority and power as the King. We see the very beginning here, right? The first public steps toward that victory. And we see that bigger picture. We see that victory because in this battle, we see how inevitable the result of Jesus' war with Satan really is. Satan and his demons and all who are opposed to Christ stand no chance against the power of God. That really leads us to our third and final point then, that Jesus' demands our response. Look at verses 27 to 28. The people are amazed by what they have seen and heard. And I would say, if I were there and if you were there, that would be our reaction as well. We've never heard something like that. We've never seen something like that. It's true for these people. They have never experienced anything that comes close to what Jesus said and did. And they can't help themselves telling everyone, everyone they know, what has happened, right? Jesus' fame quickly spread through all of Galilee. But what I want to focus on in particular is the people's questions. Because what Jesus does and says makes them start asking questions and say, what, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. These questions are actually the beginning of a very important theme in Mark. Who is Jesus? The people are amazed by Jesus, they're amazed by his miracles, by his teaching. But time and again, they don't actually understand who he is. Even Jesus' disciples have trouble. At the end of chapter 4, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are afraid. And they say to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. And even when the disciples learn more about Jesus and they understand that he's the Christ, the promised Savior, they still have to learn that he is the suffering Savior who will die for their sins. Who is Jesus? That is the question that this passage is pointing us to. Who is Jesus? Have you answered that question? Have you answered that question for yourself? It is one of the most important, if not the most important question of your life. Who is Jesus? Mark is pressing home the answer in this gospel. Jesus is the Son of God, sent into this world to be the Savior that we need. You and I, all of us, desperately need a Savior because we are sinners facing a holy God. And that Savior must be God Himself because our sins are so great that only God can deal with them. And that Savior must also be a man to stand in our place and actually pay 
for our sins. And here in chapter 1, we see more of who Jesus is. We see more of what Mark means. Because we see that Jesus is the prophet that we must listen to. Jesus teaches with authority. If you ignore him or reject him, you will go to hell. Jesus speaks the words of life. There is no other way to eternal life. Think about what he says in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way to salvation except through Christ. But also as we see him teaching with authority, give thanks that when Jesus speaks with authority and power, his people listen. If God has chosen you to believe, you will hear your shepherd's voice, you will hear your Savior's voice, and you will turn to him and be saved. But we also need to continue to listen to Jesus, our prophet. If you're a believer here, that is why you're actually here this morning. You are here to worship God and to hear your Savior's voice in the Word, by the Spirit. You are here to hear Him as He comforts you, as He challenges you, and as He teaches you this morning. But we also see here that Jesus is the King that we need. He is our prophet and He's also our King. Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus and come to Him for salvation? Now, being amazed by Jesus' powers is not enough. Submitting to Jesus and to His authority by faith is what God requires. And when you see Jesus as your King, you will find out that He is a good King, a great King, a loving King. You will never be disappointed by submitting yourself to Christ. But we also need Jesus to be our king now. We need his power and protection every moment of our lives. Take this passage to heart because it is such an encouragement. Because right now, this morning, in your life, Jesus is confronting and defeating spiritual enemies who are so much stronger than we are. We really have no idea about how much Jesus is doing for us right now as our King. In heaven, we'll be able to look back probably and see so much more of His work. You know, when you are tempted, or when you're discouraged, or when it looks like your work for God isn't going anywhere, you know those times like when you've, you've shared the gospel with somebody, or you've invited them to church, and there's no response, just nothing, or even pushback. Or those times when you fall into sin again, and you say, God, what is going on? I want to be growing and life isn't going the way I wanted to. When you are discouraged, when you are tempted, when things don't seem to be going the way you would like, come back to a passage like this. Come back to a passage like this and find encouragement. Satan wants you to think that he is more powerful than he actually is. He wants you to be down in the dumps. He wants you to look around at the world and say, there's no way that I can obey God today. Satan is strong, that's true, but our Savior is stronger. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In just a few minutes, we're going to be singing a mighty fortress is our God. You may have looked at that and said, wait a minute, why are we singing that today? Uh, It's one of those great hymns of the Reformation. 
Uh, but it's also one of the great hymns of the Christian life. It really drives the point home of Jesus' kingship. Because Luther, the man who wrote that, understood how much we need Jesus as our king. He understood our need, and he understood just how powerful King Jesus truly is for us. As we close then this morning, give thanks for Jesus Christ. Give thanks for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God has given us our perfect, powerful prophet and king that we need. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, it is amazing to see who Jesus Christ truly is. And what we see here in the Gospel of Mark is true and it's deep, but it can never, ever exhaust who you are, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are our prophet who speaks the truth. Help us to listen to you. We thank you that you are our king who protects us and guides us. Pray that we would follow you. And Lord, we pray also that this good news of what you have done for us, Lord, make this to be something that we can't help speaking about to others. We pray, Lord, that you would show your mercy to others, to bring them to listen to your word and be saved, and to join us as we follow you as our king. We thank you for this, and we pray boldly in Jesus' name. Amen.